Chapter 27 Obedience, Divine and Human The study of our Lord's interior life can lead us into mysteries which, at first glance, appear contradictory, yet it would be impossible, in fact, for there to be contradictions in God's works, or above all, in our Lord Himself. For instance, the fact of the coexistence of a divine and a human will in one and the same person is a mystery. Will this not entail a certain contradiction between the weakness, the limitation of the human will, and the transcendence of the divine? This mystery should serve as a great model for us, as well as provide consolation. It is clear, as we have said, that there cannot be the least opposition between the two wills, for it is one and the same person, the divine person, who assumes the human will of our Lord's soul. Speaking of our Lord, we always run the risk, which I have pointed out, namely of separating his humanity and his divinity, and then acting as if he were two persons. We must never forget that there is only one person, the divine person, who has assumed the human soul of our Lord. Nevertheless, the reality of his human soul remains, as do his human faculties, will, and understanding. Even in our Lord's words, there are things which seem hard to grasp. For instance, our Lord quite often affirms his own obedience. Can our Lord be said to be obedient? Indeed, he said so himself for one thing, and he became obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross. Seeking the explanation of this obedience, we might wonder if it is to be found uniquely in the fact that our Lord received a human soul. Or else, we might seek the explanation in the fact that our Lord's human will is totally subject to the divine will. As it is the human will of the Lord's divine will, which proceeds from the Father. It is necessary, in any case, to keep in mind that the two wills are united. They can never be separated. Lastly, we might seek the explanation in the mission which the Father has given to His Son. He has been sent, and it is in accomplishing this order of the divine and temporal mission of our Lord Jesus Christ that this obedience occurs in our Lord. Hence, the obedience of the Lord can be explained by the mission He received, and which He accomplished, manifestly, under the influence of the divine will. He manifested this obedience when he said, Therefore doth the Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it away from me, but I lay it down of myself. And I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Our Lord says that he received orders from his Father, Yet it is surely not to be thought that within the Blessed Trinity orders are given by one person to another. Hence, the only way in which the commands referred to by our Lord can be explained is by this mission. This mission is both eternal and temporal, unfolding in time in the incarnation of our Lord and in the redemption. In time, the human will of the Lord takes up the relay, so to speak, 
All his human energy is drawn, as it were, from the mission received by the Son from his Father, and obviously he carries it out faultlessly. It is in this sense that he obeyed his Father, and in this sense that Christ's obedience must be understood. It is not inconsonant with his divine personality. It is an obedience both divine and human. The Lord also says, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father who sent me. He gave me commandment what I should say and what I should speak. John twelve forty nine. It is the Father, then, who prescribes what he is to say by giving him, in some way, an order which our Lord connects to his divine mission and to its temporal accomplishment. In this sense, there is a prescription, and our Lord says that he always carries out the commandments of his Father. John eight twenty nine. Even as he manifests his obedience, the Lord also shows himself as possessing all power. Words of our Lord reveal this, as when he said to his disciples, And you are they who have continued with me in my temptations, and I dispose to you, as my Father hath disposed to me, a kingdom. Luke twenty-two, twenty-eight to 29 it is he, clearly, who prepares the kingdom. In this he manifests his omnipotence. He shows that, by his will, he can act, once again, not independently of his father, but as his equal. He disposes of his father's kingdom. This he also tells us in the magnificent priestly prayer, which we have already cited, when he addresses the father, Father, I will that where I am they also whom thou hast given me may be with me. John 17:24. It would almost appear that he imposes his will upon the Father, but we know that if he says this, it is precisely because it is also the will of the Father and that their wills can never conflict. Perfect unity exists here, unity in the Trinity and unity in our Lord himself. We should strive to seek this unity. In order to be united to God, united to our Lord, our wills have to resemble his and always be united to his. A beautiful example is given to us here. Our will, of course, is not assumed by God as the soul of Jesus is. Nonetheless, we too are sent we too have a vocation. We must be faithful to the will of God. Our Lord is for us the model. Would that he might place in our wills the dispositions that he had in his own human will. A passage from the Reverend Bonservant develops the theme. If we consider the Trinitarian life of the Father and the Son, we can understand their unity of will. The Father shows to the Son and communicates to him all that he does. For his part, the Son neither wants nor can do anything but what the Father shows him. What obedience can be as perfect as this integral communion, this uniformity of will? As St. Cyril explains in a rather lovely image, we can no more say that there are real commands given from Father to Son 
then we can say that the sun commands its rays to shine. And the same doctor adds that if we consider the word incarnate, the commandment referred to is not the order of a superior, but uniquely the expression of the sun's mission. Let us say more exactly that from the father to the son, there is no real commandment, but mission of the person of the son. And if we are considering the son incarnate, the commandment and the obedience express at the same time, the eternal mission and its accomplishment in time, in particular by his human will and operation. The Reverend Bonsivant explains, this attitude of free dependence appears in a well-known scene. The mother of the two sons of Zebedee approaches Jesus and asks him to grant them to sit in the two highest places in the kingdom, on his right hand and on his left. Jesus answers, You know not what you ask. Can you drink the chalice that I shall drink? The sons say to him, We can. Jesus replies, my chalice indeed you shall drink, but to sit on my right or left hand is not mine to give to you, but to them for whom it is prepared by my Father. By this answer, Christ did not seek to elude an importunate request, still less did he wish to deny what he affirms elsewhere, that he has the right to dispose of the kingdom, and that, in fact, he does dispose of it in favor of his own. But he wanted to remind his presumptuous apostles that all these graces come from the Father as from the first source, and that it is from him that they should humbly seek them. Even here, there is no contradiction between our Lord's affirmations, but he wanted to remind the sons of Zebedee of humility, and that everything comes first of all from the Father, and that he himself receives everything from the Father and submits himself to his Father. Mm -hmm.